0: What's up? It's Sophia Amoruso. My voice is an octave lower than normal because I've been having way too many meetings, and I'm exhausted. So we're actually recording this from my sofa. <laughs> so if you guys haven't listened to the latest podcast in the Girl Boss Radio Network, because we are a network, there are four, four shows now in the Girl Boss Radio Network. Jen Gotch, the founder of Bando, has a really great new show called Jen Gotch's Okay Sometimes. That's really a personal kind of diary of her life and living with mental illness and is really centered around making all of us feel less alone. And it's one of, it's probably the funniest podcast I've ever heard. So go check it out. Anywhere podcasts are found in Apple Podcasts. Success. It's such a complicated idea. And yet for so long, we've all collectively subscribed to a single definition of the word which was likely given to us by a white-haired dude somewhere in a boardroom in the 1960s. And there's nothing wrong with that definition, with the notion of climbing a corporate ladder with a singular focus. But it's time to make space for a few other definitions, for side hustles and well-being and failing forward, and for the idea that success is a wild ride, not the destination at the end of it. Join me for a journey into the lives of women who are redefining success and paving the way for others with grit and grace. I'm Sophia Amoruso, the founder and CEO of Girl Boss Media, and this is Girl Boss Radio. Today we have an exciting guest. Tamara Mellon is an entrepreneur, author, founder, and shoe designer, best known for co founding Jimmy Choo and founding her own brand, Tamara Mellon. In 1996, at the age of 27, she left her job as an accessories editor at British Vogue to co-found a company with a then-unknown East London cobbler
1: named Jimmy Choo. I booked myself into rehab before I went in. I called Jimmy and I said, can I take a meeting with you? And I said, look, I have this idea to start this business. I've been photographing your shoes and putting them in vogue for the last five years. right? And so I laid out this plan and I said, I'm just going away for a few weeks and I'll call you when I get back. I didn't say where I was going. Over the following 16
0: years, she built one of the most recognizable luxury brands in the world. Jimmy Choo became a multi-million dollar empire sold in Harrods and Saks Fifth Avenue, a favorite amongst celebrities and a bit of a cultural phenomenon with its frequent mentions on sex in the city
1: i did a group with a bunch of feathers on shoes and i think that was one of the first times it appeared where sarah jessica parker was running to catch a ferry and she was screaming i lost my chew i lost my chew through her time there she discovered what she
0: loves to do most design shoes and break rules in 2011 she sold her stake in jimmy Choo for a reported 135 million dollars Following her exit from Jimmy Choo, she wrote an autobiographical book titled In My Shoes. In 2016, she launched her own luxury shoe label in a decidedly untraditional way, with no retailers involved, sold directly to women.
1: You've got to believe in the future and what you're going to what you know your vision is, and I didn't give up on my vision.
0: Today she's on the show to talk about reinventing yourself and starting your own business. We'll get to our chat with Tamara in just a minute. But first, Maggie and I are going to share all of the details of what's going on at the Girl Boss headquarters. What has been going on? What's up, Maggie? Well, hello, hello. Um, <laughs> as I'm holding a, this is like FM radio.
2: <laughs> hello, hello. Welcome, welcome. So, over at Girl Boss, we have a piece on job interviews and great questions to ask while you're in them. So as we know, the interview is one of the most important parts of hiring. And stressful. It is stressful. And everybody kind of, it's hard when you start interviewing, you know, more than a couple people. Things start blending. Mm -hmm. So questions are definitely important on both sides. The job applicant and the company, just to make sure it's a fit on both sides. Yeah. This particular piece gives you a few starting or kickoff questions on, like, what are really good things to ask on your side after, you know, they get all the nitty-gritty on you, on what you're passionate about, and then when they turn it over and say, hey, do you have any questions? This is where you can really command yeah. and take control. and it's
0: important to show that you know something about the company and come up with, you know, bring questions that are qualified about the company that you're working for. I can't even tell you how many times people were, you know, came into interviews and called nasty gal, nasty girl, oh, or, no. you know, asked about how I founded the company. It's like, I wrote, I wrote a book about it. Mm-hmm. It doesn't mean you have to read my book, but at the very least, a Google Google search right would be a good idea the summary um, and just showing like you're interested is really really important so what are the mm-hmm. some of the top questions that we should think about when we're interviewing for jobs so some of
2: the questions i really liked that i pulled out were um asking them personal questions about what they love about the company so getting an inside scoop from the source directly rather than on a glass door or mm-hmm. blog Another good one is, again, showing that you've researched. So saying something like, I read about the recent blank and wanted to know more about blank. Mm -hmm. Um, Another good thing is getting to know the, I mean, culture is essential nowadays, especially just with large companies, lots of people, uh, making sure you blend really nicely with that culture. So asking about it directly, how they would describe the culture. Do people go out to lunch or do people sit at their desks? It's just good to know that stuff. And you really don't think about it in the interview unless you ask.
0: One that I read was asking what the salary range is for the position i think you can argue both ways whether the employer should say that first or you should state your salary requirements Mm -hmm. because if you state your salary requirements and they really want to hire you you know they may start a little bit lower than that but like you can work your way back up to that sometimes but also if you really overshoot and just shoot for the stars Mm -hmm. and maybe aren't super reasonable and want like a twenty thousand dollar (laughs) raise just because you're changing jobs Mm -hmm. that can be kind of tough because in my experience it kind of it's like oh wow that's so far out of our range and so far beyond their experience or Mm -hmm. how many years they've been doing this that makes it it, it's it's it can kind of be a non-starter
2: yeah i also think another good one besides salary is just throwing in something random to finding out the personality of the person or the company one of the questions was at the end of the day i'm standing across the street from your company's office and people are walking out the door at 5 what facial expressions will i see yeah that's yeah. kind of an interesting
0: question i personally never asked that i mean but... it's kind of cool when people leave together mm-hmm. and they're like let's go do something or right. what i saw at the rally which I mean, I don't want to, you know, it's really the team that I would, you know, defer to for how happy they are at Girl Boss, It seems like people mm-hmm. are pretty happy, but to work so hard at the Girl Boss rally and have a team that's like best job ever mm-hmm. and not feel like they just got like, you know worked to the bone but yeah. like we're energized mm-hmm. at the end of the day that's what you want because yeah it, it's a lot of work to to start a company and we're all in it together exactly and when you're doing something important and feel like you're making an impact and able to be close to the work and aren't just kind of doing what you're told mm-hmm. that, can really expiring, can really that can be a really inspiring really that can be a really inspiring experience it's good to level set with like you know Do people work nine to five? Mm -hmm. Is this a place that has flexibility? What are your what's your vacation policy? You know, I think the wrong kind of employer may hear questions like, what's your vacation policy or, you know, how soon can I move up in the role Mm -hmm. as like, I'm here for the wrong reasons? Especially like how fast can I move up in the role? Because you want people who are excited about the job that you're interviewing them for. I agree. But I do think that sussing out flexibility is an important piece of the job and whether or not you're going to be supported when you take a vacation, because Mm -hmm. I think a lot of people assume that their boss isn't going to be happy about it. And there probably are some environments where that is the case. Mm -hmm. And it is up to the boss to set that example, as Patty McCord said on her episode of Girl Boss Radio. But um, that's something I've learned to do. And I'm going to Hawaii next week.
2: <laughs> yeah. 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 You know what else I think is a good, is a good question or something to ask about is, um, where the future of the company and the position are going. Cause a lot of times people end up moving departments or What's the whole your thing is restructured. Yeah, so, is, yeah. So it's totally. like, if you don't have that futuristic goal or that vision, then it's like, you're just kind of sitting in this one particular part. And so yeah. it's not like, is there going to be movement in the future? Totally. You know? Yeah.
0: Upward, mm-hmm. upward mobility. Yeah. Fun, lots of and questions. And you can find that on girlboss.com, mm-hmm. uh, where we publish so much great content every day.
2: Mm-hmm. It's called 10 Questions You Should Definitely Ask in Your Next Job Interview.
0: Definitely. Now let's get ready to hear from entrepreneur, author, and designer Tamara Mellon.
1: Where did you grow up? You have an accent. Okay, so I had a, I had a interesting childhood with two very different cultures. So I grew up half in London and half here. So I actually lived in LA between 76 and 83. So and you've got to remember the world then didn't have social media. So going to I went to boarding school in England. So we're going to boarding school in England and then flying home to LA for vacation with two completely different worlds. It was a it was a culture shock. And your mom was a former Chanel model and your dad was, he was a stuntman? He, so when he was very young, he was a stuntman for um, Rock Hudson. Yeah, because they looked identical. And so he did that when he was very young. And then later in life, um, he, was, he went into business and he was the CEO of Fidel Sassoon. That's why we lived in LA. Wow. They still have, they do great cuts. Yeah. It's the best technical. Yeah, I remember as a child sitting in the salon, you know, watching Fidel cut hair. Tamara's father
0: was also an amazing businessman, known for his position as CEO of Vidal Sassoon. She explained how her father inspired her to become a businesswoman and what she learned from him.
1: My father was a great inspiration and mentor to me. And growing up, I always certainly thought I want to be like my dad more than I wanted to be like my mother. Mm -hmm. Um, He was the one that really inspired me. And, yeah, I think being around my father, being around Fidel, who, you know, Fidel was always really into design. He loved architecture. He loved art you know, if you look at his haircuts, they're very architectural. So and then on my father on the business side, and you know, what they did with Sassoon in the early days was really interesting. They really were entrepreneurial, and they really thought outside the box. Like they would do things, they were the first people to do designer shampoo. No one had thought about it as a luxury product. Fidel was the first hairdresser to become famous. No one, there was nobody known for hairdressing before Mm -hmm. Fidel you know they turned him into a celebrity and they used to I remember my dad saying to me you know they used to take Fidel to Japan and they would put him on stage and sell tickets like it was a rock concert and it was like so they were really so I think creative and I think I absorbed a lot of that sort of outside of the box thinking different ways to do things Wow and you didn't end up going to college? No, I dropped out of high school. Wow! So I actually don't even have a high school education. So um, yeah, so it really does prove if you want to do something, you can do it. Yeah, I left school at 16. I went to what is now nice. When I look back, I'm like, my God, how ridiculous was this? But it's called a finishing school in Switzerland, Um, where they don't really exist anymore. Um, Princess Diana actually went to the same school. And what you do there is you learn French, cooking, sewing, etiquette, and skiing. And that was your choice? (laughs) Skiing? What a combo. I know. What a crazy, right? And you know what? I think it's very old fashioned. And what it was doing, I guess, was setting you up to run a household, yeah, which was actually no use to me at all because I have no skills in the kitchen or or doing any of those things. Are you a good skier? And I actually went into business. (laughs) Um, I am a good skier. I bet. You
0: went to school for it. Wait, so did you go to finishing school as a choice or was that
1: something your family pushed you into? You know what? I think it was um, just because I didn't know what to do. And I had a couple of girlfriends that I was really close to going there, so I thought, mm, sounds like good idea. So I'll go. I'll go where they're going. I mean, it sounds kind of fun. It was, you know what? Looking back, it was an amazing year. And and in a way, like if somebody wanted to take a gap year and do something interesting, I would go to Switzerland, go to school for a year.
0: Yeah. Uh, do you feel like it helped you or hurt you not going to college?
1: It didn't hurt me. Um, Work-wise, I think, you know, because I actually started working from the ground up. I started working on a shop floor selling clothes. So I learned the fashion industry really from right from the ground floor serving customers. I think where it hurt me was my confidence. I think if I had had uh, a business degree from college, I think it would have given me a lot more confidence and I would have understood the business language or the language of business which I had to learn on the go you know particularly when I started Jimmy Choo you know my goal I wanted to make beautiful shoes but I didn't understand um, business or investment bankers or finance or private equity or any of the things that I was going to have to face and I had to learn it on the go which was which was really tough and so I think from a confidence level you know I think college is good like I, I I'm so happy my daughter wants to get she wants to get an MBA in business and I'm so happy because that will set her up um, for whatever she does
0: yeah I think what people don't realize is you know they think maybe I thought at some point uh, in my life that when People who went and got MBAs were just like total score squares and like you can be a business owner and, and you can, but you can be a business owner and just be creative and you can, but you have so such a huge advantage knowing what the people who are making you sign contracts, giving you money, holding you accountable for the money that they've given you, that if you know what they know, you can operate in their world much better and if you don't know the learning curve is just massive and it's massive i am you I'm, can protect you know, yourself I'm exper- you i've know. experienced the same thing i'm still experiencing it because i didn't i didn't go to college either yeah tamara mellon has said that she simply couldn't have done what she did at jimmy choo without that experience she revealed by working a job in retail was so valuable to her career and exactly how it helped her in building jimmy choo
1: i don't think there's any way that i could have built Jimmy Choo if I didn't have those experiences you know when I started Jimmy Choo I had 10 years experience in the fashion industry people often think it was like just a kind of moonshot Mm -hmm. right overnight success but it wasn't I was you know I did many different jobs from working on the shop floor I did um, I worked at a PR company for a year I worked at a magazine called Mirabella and then I worked at Vogue for five years but I think just starting on the shop floor it, it taught me how to serve a customer how to interact with a customer how to organize a stock room mm-hmm. you know so when I actually started Jimmy Choo I knew how to run a store you know that those things were invaluable and when I started Jimmy Choo I did also serve customers on the shop floor you know and then my office was like in the basement of this tiny little store with sort of no windows and I was practically practically sitting in a cupboard but I would run up and down in between dealing with the factories in Italy to serve a customer on the shop floor. Yeah, I want to hear more about that because, I mean, starting a business for anybody is
0: uh, such a learning curve, but doing it, I think, in a time where we couldn't Google... Uh, you know, how to do this or had like some kind of system that would, you know, print shipping labels for us or all the things, all of the tools that uh, this like new
1: world affords us that are, you know, there's more and more every day. I think there's also a crazy pressure on kids today to to have huge success too young. You know, there are all these sort of tech startup stories of people dropping out of college and, uh, you know, being founders of giant like social media companies, and and I think that actually, you know, there's a lot of too much pressure on kids to do stuff too quickly without actually just putting the years in. Almost kind of like you know, like like we did. You pay your dues and you learn the industry. And I think there's so much pressure they put on themselves now to have too much success too young. If that's your goal and that's your mission, then. I support it, go for it. But I don't think you should put that kind of pressure on yourself, thinking that if someone else is doing it, I have to do it too.
0: In her last job before starting Jimmy Choo was as an accessories editor at British Vogue. She actually got fired from this job, which was the catalyst to start her company. She shared why she was let go from Vogue, what she learned from it, and why it was the best thing that ever happened to her.
1: I was drinking and I was doing drugs and um, I was getting really out of control. And so what I was doing, I was going in late. I was leaving early. I wasn't focused on what I was doing, which was a shame because I was really good at what I did. Yeah. And I remember the woman who fired me, Anna Harvey, who's just a couple of years ago left Vogue. She had a long Long career there, and I remember her taking me into her office and saying, "You know, tomorrow we think you've outgrown your job." <laughs> and I was oh. like, "That's a very nice way to put it." Wow! But you know, it was the best thing that ever happened to me because that was the moment I straightened myself out, um, and I actually checked myself into rehab with a determination, turning my life around because I got scared enough. You know, there was enough fear that I thought, "What what's going to happen to me if I don't straighten this out?"
0: Right. So you are sober
1: yet 23 years. Wow. I stopped
0: drinking like eight or nine months ago. Congratulations. Um, thanks. Yeah. It was just, it wasn't, nothing like really hit rock bottom and I'm not sure, I don't think I'm an alcoholic, but I like, I like wine so much. And um, I guess when you're like showing up to meetings with like a hangover a couple days a week, you might have a problem, I guess. So uh, it's been really it's really nice to quit drinking. I recommend it. It's nice to feel clear-headed. I really highly recommend it. Yeah, my brain works just yes. so differently. Yeah. It's... And you probably sleep better. I always sleep fine, but um, yeah, I wake up
1: feeling a lot better. So you got fired from Vogue, and then what? I had an idea that I that I wanted to start Jimmy too while I was at Vogue. So what I did, I got fired. I booked myself into rehab. Before I went in, I called Jimmy and I said, can I take a meeting with you? So I took a meeting with him and I said, look, I have this idea to start this business. I've been, you know, photographing your shoes and putting them in vogue for the last five years. right?" And so I laid out this sort of plan, this overview of this plan that I had. And I said, I'm just going away for a few weeks and I'll call you when I get back. I didn't say where (laughs) I was going. (laughs) And so I went to rehab for a month and I called him when I got out and then went down, took another meeting with him. That's kind of how it started. But what that light bulb moment start the business was because I was the accessories editor. And in the early 90s, there was only a shoe company called Manolo Blahnik. Literally nobody else did shoes. None of the big luxury companies did. I don't know if that counts. (laughs) Um, So Jimmy was a cobbler in the East End of London, and I would go to him to make things for shoots. So I'd go down there and I'd say, you know what, I'm doing a story, and it's all based on roses right now, so let's make a pair of sandals, and can we put a rose here, or you know, I want studs here, and I want the heel like this. So he'd make the shoe, then I'd photograph it and I'd give him a credit in Vogue. So my thinking was, that's a great platform to start a business. There's, you know, there's, his name is known because we keep putting him in Vogue, but there's no business and there's nowhere to buy the shoes. When she met Jimmy Choo, he was just an unknown
0: cobbler making shoes on the streets of London with no intentions of becoming anything more than that. So I was curious. How did Tamara convince a man with no real business aspirations to help her create
1: what later became one of
0: the most iconic luxury brands?
1: Really, when I look back, I was 27 years old, and I don't know how I did that. I think... You know, I think as he'd known me for five years, and I think we had a relationship. I used to go down to his studio a lot, which was in Hackney in the East End of London, which in those days was was had not been gentrified and it hadn't become kind of trendy. It was very dangerous, um, and I used to, you know, I used to go down there and make shoes with him. So we had we had a relationship, and I think he he trusted me more than. More than any than someone just coming in with money, he knew that I'd been in the industry uh, for a long time and had an experience. And so, with him, did he put a business plan plan together? Did you? Was there a business plan? Yes, sort of. But we really didn't know what we were doing. We had sort of an idea about how we do. I mean, you know. I had a vague plan of sort of okay find factories in Italy, <laughs> you know, raise money and it was very hard to raise money because obviously I didn't have a track record in in business and I was very young and I also I was a woman um and we're talking about you know 1995 It was incredibly difficult. So what I I actually ended up borrowing 150 grand off my dad in the end. But I it took me a long time to convince him as well. He had to really believe in it. Um, And the more I showed him of what I wanted to do, the more he believed. That's what gave us our, our sort of kickstart. And so from the
0: kickstart, I mean, what were the first signs of Wow, this is working? Let's go do more of that
1: you know, the first couple of collections we did were tough, you know, didn't really work out. Like we, I went to Italy, we found one factory and when the samples arrived, they would, they would, the quality was terrible. We couldn't even show them to buyers. So we were, we were selling off sketches, you know, and we, um, so, you know, so it wasn't, it was a rocky road. And then about, it was 98, spring, summer, 98 collection that was the breakthrough moment, you know, we found found a great factory. Um, I remember I, f- I flew to Italy and didn't even have uh, meetings. You know, I had a book of factories, Italian factories, and who they made for. So I literally cold called, knocked on their door, and went with sketches and said, Will you make these shoes for me? Yeah, I mean that's
0: before that's before Google, like Google. Oh search? yeah,
1: yeah. No, there was no internet. So when I started, I'm really dating myself here when i saw... we were faxing orders to the factories yeah. initially we didn't have email
0: i mean and it's like at every in every generation i think what smart entrepreneurs do is reverse engineer things it's like oh well if it worked for that fashion house like certainly i'll i'll the quality of those shoes will be great they must yeah. be a good partner and that's something that i've done over the course of my career that i don't know if everybody does naturally, but just as a piece of advice to our listeners, like you can learn almost anything by being really creative with Google searches. And I think you had to probably be a lot more creative um, when you were faxing things. Yes. So how long after you launched Jimmy Shoe
1: did uh, the brand appear on Sex and the City? Oh, it, it happened pretty quickly. It was that collection. Wow. I did a group with a bunch of feathers on shoes And that was the, I think that was one of the first times it appeared where Sarah Jessica Parker was uh, running to catch a ferry and she was screaming, I lost my chew. I lost my chew. (laughs) That was, and we didn't know, we didn't even know it was going to happen. So what happened was Candice Bushnell was in London and I'd opened a tiny little store that was probably about the size of this room. And she came into the store and she fell in love with the shoes. And that's why she wrote them into the script. Selling so shoes is fun. I've sold shoes many times, and there's something just about like shoes
0: and books. They they sit on a shelf like very, and jewelry's nice too because it just they 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 show up in these like compact yes you know packages. Shoes are like boxes, and I don't. I don't there's know. There's something I
1: don't... very there's an emotional about it. Yeah,
0: that too. I've laced up many a shoe and put them on many a foot. So what happened once the brand wound up on Sex and the City? Did that change your business?
1: it was you know i think it what it what that did um it just it it was name awareness to a much broader audience than uh we could have reached just by being in glossy magazines you know being on tv there's a much bigger audience so that really helped sort of turn us into a household name and at some point, the company sold. How long after you founded it was? was so 16 years later, okay. I, I finally sold and walked away. I mean, over the course of the time, um, Jimmy sold his shares early on. He sold his shares in 2001. And that's how private equity came into the business. They bought his shares. So we went through a sales process actually four times, which I wouldn't recommend to anybody to do. It was incredibly disruptive to the business and stressful. And I don't think was, was good for the the long-term viability of the business actually because you have people that come in who your goals are not aligned you know they want to get in and out quickly make money and the founder of a business you really care about the business you care about the people in it you care about the quality of the product so after the fourth time of going through that I thought you know what I don't really like the culture here anymore I don't like what's happened to the product and you know I thought to myself okay I'm either young enough I leave now and I could start again I'm just young enough you know, I'm on the on the border. Um, and I could start again and build a company with a culture that I'm really proud of and a, and a culture that's really female focused. That's kind of really what I wanted to do. And, uh, and a company that really speaks to women and talks about what, things that women value. And that was really what I was more excited about. Was there a break between Jimmy Choo and launching Tamara Mowen? Yeah, sure. I had a non-compete for a while. So in that time, I wrote a book called In My Shoes, and so which was actually great. That was really cathartic in a way. It helped me really close that chapter and move on. Um, and it was the story of building Jimmy Choo and then some of my personal life kind of weaved in and out because it's part of the story. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then, and then launched a new business with a uh, completely different kind of values to it and initially when you relaunched the brand was
0: sold through it was your name and it was sold
1: in wholesale
0: yeah in retail
1: stores and and that didn't work out that did not work out so when we did the relaunch we kind of said okay i admit i fucked up but i'm gonna give it another go (laughs) here i'm gonna try again from what i learned yeah yeah so so i tried to do buy now where now too early so I tried to do it in 2013 when most other designers did it in 2016. And so what happened was when you're sort of first, when you're first one out the gate, it, you're usually the one that fails because no one's ready for it. Mm-hmm. But what I learned from that is if you want to do buy now, where now it really needs to be direct to consumer. I was trying to put a new idea through an old distribution channel and it was really tough. It, it wasn't ready for it. They weren't ready to receive monthly deliveries. Oh, wow. Okay. They weren't ready to... So you were doing, like, I mean, a rapid... You weren't showing the
0: shoes in spring to have... I wasn't doing collections. For holiday. Yes. Yeah. I wasn't, so I wasn't doing... So the buyers uh, had already allocated all their dollars exactly. and you are showing up with shoes that were going to... That should have gone on the floor... Exactly. Two weeks from that time. Yeah, that's that's hard. We We... We did that a little bit at Nasty Gal, and it's like if you're if you don't fit into the uh, in the cycles that um, these huge retailers are used to working in, just they're not gonna like make no make a new way of working for for you.
1: No, and I, but I think they've realized now that they have to adapt and change to survive yeah. but at that time you know no one really understood what i was talking about they actually they looked at me like sometimes i felt like i had an alien growing out the back of my head mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah but but you're absolutely right they they couldn't um they didn't want to uh, adjust their buys they didn't want to adjust their financial planning yeah. and also i think being a startup again i wasn't big enough to affect change. You need critical mass to affect change. You know, if I was the size of Jimmy Choo and had that leverage of hundreds of millions of dollars going through that channel, then maybe I could have got them to buy or, you know, Mm -hmm. you know, show things in a different way, but I just wasn't big enough.
0: We'll be back in just a moment, but first let's talk about Stitch Fix. Oh my gosh. I just met Katrina late. I hope she can speak at one of her rallies. She is so impressive! Yeah. She just spoke at the Code Conference, which I went to, and uh, finally, finally got to say hi. And now we're on text. But hey. you know, Stitch Fix was happening while I was building Nasty Gal, and she really unlocked how to use technology to uh, to serve people and to personalize what what they're looking for, and to to show them what they want before they have to look for it. Um, which is you know, using technology to improve our experience with everything you know, that we're doing over and over again is a really powerful thing, and mm-hmm. that's something that, that we want to do as we build Girlboss. Yep. And so if you don't know what Stitch Fix is, you go onto stitchfix.com and you fill out a style profile, and Stitch Fix will send you clothes, shoes, and accessories that are picked just for you with the help of a real human stylist, and it's fit to your size, your lifestyle, your budget, and of course, your taste. And every stitch fix box comes with five items that you can try on at home and you only pay for what you actually keep so it's super easy to send back what you don't keep because Stitch Fix covers shipping both ways for returns and exchanges and there's no subscription required. You can get your fix monthly, quarterly, or whenever you feel like it. So get started now at stitchfix.com girlboss and you'll also get 25% off when you keep all five items in your box. That's stitchfix.com slash girlboss to try Stitch Fix today. stitchfix.com slash girlboss. We have so much more with Tamara coming up. But first, let's talk about ShipStation. Our favorite ShipStation. Maggie, you use ShipStation. Tell us all about it.
2: We love ShipStation. We use it for everything. Not only our merch, but also just every other shipment. We have sweeps and we end up sending things out for those winners. So we just thought it'd be easy to compile everything um, at this one-stop shop. Mm -hmm. shipstation.com that's a tongue twister but i love it you can literally use it on any platform shopify squarespace etsy uh it's so easy and simple it's literally a click of a button it feels too easy sometimes like what does it
0: do exactly it's been a long time since i've shipped online orders
2: yeah so you create the labels on shipstation uh print them and then just literally put them on the
0: package. And you can use and USPS. FedEx, UPS pretty much anything. Mm-hmm, any of them. Cool. Any and all. So. And so right now you can try ShipStation free for 30 days and get an additional month free only if you use our promo code GirlBoss. Don't wait, go to Shipstation.com and before you do anything else, click on the microphone at the top of the homepage and type in Girl Boss. That's Ship S H-I-P-Station, S-T-A-T-I-O-N dot Enter girlboss. Ship station make, make ship happen. happen now let's get back to our interview with Tamara Mellon. The first launch of Tamara
1: Mellon didn't pan out. So how did that end, and then how did you get restarted again? I went out to to raise more money uh, with a new business plan. So I wrote a completely new business plan that was direct to consumer. You know, mostly focused on e commerce. And I went out and I went to a VC firm. VC is very different from private equity. VC is more supportive of founders. They they understand startup world. They take a, you know a longer term view on things. So I went to the VC world with the plan, and they totally understood what I was talking about because they were a company that had invested in other consumer tech businesses. So they kind of understood. I showed they loved the shoes. They loved the product, and they understood what I was talking about. And they said, okay yeah, we we actually understand, we believe in what you're talking about. We believe that this is how the next generation of brands are going to be built. But the original investors I had, I had some were supportive of it and some were not. So I had three guys in the UK who were not supportive of me doing this and wanted me to continue down the road with a traditional model. So I ended up because there was this conflict, I ended up putting the company through a chapter 11. And then the VC firm that I'm working with said, look, go through the reorg and we'll be waiting for you on the other side, Mm. you know, if that's what you have to do. Because they did offer us, um, we could have done a down round and they could have come in, but I had three people who wouldn't accept a down round. Mm -hmm. And I just said, it's the only way this is going to work. You know, otherwise we're going to hit a wall. They thought I would just keep paying to support the company they said you'll never you'll never bankrupt this because you're too worried about your reputation and we want to build this in a traditional way so like, watch I was me. like okay watch, I watch was like, yeah watch me okay well, I've, I've done that um <laughs>
0: did you know that I did know that okay yes. yeah I think there's very few women who come on this podcast who have put a retail business through chapter 11, 11 yeah which I don't want to dwell on because I know how annoying it is to like have questions about that when you're like doing all kinds of more amazing things but what was like what was that like for you how did how did it feel
1: when that became a headline you know it's tough because particularly in the UK for me you know they don't understand the difference between chapter 11 and chapter 7 mm. so chapter 11 you're really reorganizing the business to have a better future and chapter seven is like you're done Mm -hmm. it's there's you know it's over Um, but people just read the word bankruptcy so there was a lot of bankruptcy headlines but I had to just kind of I had to just get through the turbulence I knew that if I could just get through the turbulence and come out the other end I knew what my vision was and I knew what I could do so I almost had to just take the humiliation of that knowing that a year down the road they would see something different but you have to you have to kind of go through it and i think particularly coming off the success of jimmy chu it was really tough mm-hmm. to go through that yeah. um and to accept failure and own it but then you've got to believe in the future and what you're gonna what you know your vision is mm-hmm. and i didn't give up on my vision
0: Though Tamara experienced some setbacks, including chapter 11 bankruptcy, it's something I know a lot about, she never gave up on her vision to create and then recreate her business. When you're starting over, you can be confident, but you never really know if you'll have success until it happens. I asked her how she felt when the investors finally came around and believed in her vision for a relaunch.
1: It was nerve-wracking. You know, I have to say that NEA, though, if you... I was so lucky to find NEA. They were so supportive through the whole bankruptcy. Um, you know, they said to me, "Just get through it. Don't worry. We're we're waiting for you on the other side," um, which was great. Um, yeah, having having them and having them really understand what I was talking about, and they really helped me put the business plan together. They helped me go out and find an incredible CEO. Um, you know, this time I didn't take a CEO from the fashion industry. I actually took someone from a completely different industry, but someone who'd built an e-commerce business and understood how to do that. Yeah. And I have a female CEO this time, which I think is the best thing that's ever happened to me. What's her background? Um, so she uh, was CEO of a company called Backcountry. Okay, yeah. Um, so she she sold outdoor gear, yeah. But it's a great website. It's amazing, and we've all bought something from there, with probably without even really realizing it's like it. A prettier REI,
0: yes. <laughs> it's like a way better shopping yes.
1: experience, <laughs> you know. And she she took that business from twenty million in revenue to five hundred million in revenue annually, oh. and so. But she did things that were, you know, just so smart. She did, she set up a whole gearhead, which is a personal customer service. So, which a lot of the business was done done through, because obviously she was competing against Amazon. Yeah, yeah. So she has a com- different view on how to on how to do things, and it's really what I needed. So I bring, you know, we're kind of now the perfect yin yang. So what I bring to the business is the luxury and creating the shoes and and knowing how to predict trends and how to build a luxury business, and what she brings is really amazing skill set on e-commerce. Oh well, yeah, I think
0: it's easy to uh, assume that the people you need in a specific role ha- should have done the exact thing that they'll do in your company, and often those people have like a very uh, narrow view of what that job entails because they've been in a more traditional company. And I've there's this huge schism that I think is improving, but when I started an e-commerce company in I don't know 2006, and even over the course of like the you know most of the ten years after that hiring like retail executives and there was e-commerce people that had sold widgets and it just they didn't even know what like a jacket was and then there was these merchants that had come up from like Back in the days, like Mervin's, like they when they had to do product development and merchandise, and do planning and all of these things that are now broken out into different parts of the business, and everyone has a you're hiring to, into these like specialties for, but they may not have any experience in e-commerce, and it's really tough to find people who. Uh, and so sometimes you do have to look out of the outside of the obvious
1: places to find people that can see the future with you, right? That's exactly what you have to do because you know part of the also the mistake in the first version of tomorrow melon is i hired a team of people who'd only had traditional luxury experience so it was very they didn't understand e-commerce and they didn't understand how to market or reach a customer and you know and so that was right they wanted to do things in the way they had been trained to do them and it was very hard to change yeah people want to like copy and paste their the, experience
0: onto yes. your company and you have to look out for that so you've mentioned gender equality and working with a female CEO. What are you guys what are you doing at uh, Tamara Mellon to help achieve gender equality or to have a better workplace maybe than you did at Jimmy Choo?
1: So we are uh majority female. We have actually just just one one man in the office at the moment. And I think, you know, we're very careful that we have we pay equally. So we cuz that was something that I also went through at Jimmy Choo and so we're very conscious of equal pay we're very conscious of you know how we how we collaborate so now you know i sit out on a main floor with everybody i don't sit in the corner office anymore um you yeah, know, same. and yeah so you know so there's it, it's a different type of collaboration in working and it's a different spirit And then obviously, you know, we're very we're looking to bigger companies now to see what benefits they give to women because we're still so new. We're still figuring out how we're going to do everything. But it's yeah, it's a very it's a it's a different it's a different mindset and it's a different how we interact with people. There's less of a hierarchy um, and it's it's. It's uh, more, you know, when you're a startup, you're kind of all in it together mm-hmm. as well. You know, everyone uh, has equity in the business, and I think that makes everyone feel really invested in the business.
0: Yeah,
1: yeah. I'm in the same
0: place where I, like, had this, like, big office, and, like, you couldn't even see it from the rest of the office. There was, like, a wall in front of it. <laughs> I and mean, there's a window coming out from the office, but there was, like, a wall in front of that, and, like, just, like, it hid, you know. Yes. like It was... once I had like a few hundred people I was didn't really know what to do and now I sit at a table with six people and it feels
1: feels really good it feels really good yeah Yeah. I know so when I think like when I think back about you know my whole life at Jimmy Choo it was very kind of funny in a way it was very Reminds me of Devil Wears Prada, right? So I remember I had a big corner office and I had two assistants sitting outside like sort of guard dogs. Mm-hmm. And it was like, yeah. you know, it was a different mentality. It's like Mickey Drexler's it, yeah.
0: office. You know, or <laughs> that's like, that's what it looks like. So... There's a few questions I ask everybody that comes on the podcast and we have this thing called girl boss moments and a girl boss moment is, I don't know, any time in your most recent history where you did something for yourself, where you achieved something, just like a personal win and it could be in your personal life or it could be in your professional life. What was your most recent girl boss
1: moment? I had Two things. So I'm really proud of what we did on Mother's Day. So we recognized other companies that had um, great benefits for women. And that's something that like traditional luxury would never do; would never give a shout out to another to another brand. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's how we're also having a culture shift as well and becoming more collaborative. And then the personal thing I did, I, book, I booked some transcendental meditation lessons. Oh, cool!
0: Yeah, at the David Lynch place, yeah. or okay. yeah,
1: well, I actually was inspired by that, but I booked somebody here called Light Watkins. Uh, Yes. Light Watkins? Uh, Light light Watkins. Cool. And he comes to your house and it takes, uh, it's four days um, and he trains you in TM. So I think that's going to be really good for being a boss. Yeah. Yeah. That's
0: good. Meditation. If you can figure that out, you're way ahead of me. And then... Success. So, one of the things we're cracking here at Girl Boss is this concept of success that, you know, looked like that corner office or looks like that cover of Forbes or looks like having money in the bank and, you know, eating lots of oysters with tiny oyster forks. But <laughs> what does success mean for you personally?
1: Success for me now means building, you know, building a business now that I'm proud of and it's more about the people that's my success is the people having great people around me where our goals are aligned well-intentioned people and i think that's what i want to surround my my life with now and i think that's what my next chapter of my success will be is is people
0: yeah oh cool. well thank you so much for coming on girl radio thank you yeah this has been a pleasure
1: Thank you very we much. We have a lot in common. <laughs> we really do.
0: Thank you so much for joining us on Girl Boss Radio today. Subscribe, rate, review, tell your friends, and check out our newest podcast, Jen Gotch is OK Sometimes. It's live on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts. Don't forget to check out Self Service with our editorial director, Jericho Mandibar, and hashtag Lip Stories with Sephora Collection. All right. Talk to you guys soon.